Hey folks, Jeff Woods here. Before we dive in, I wanted to give a few quick shout outs and thank yous. First to Golden, who left us a review saying that, um, suggesting that people listen to this if you're interested in achieving your goals because it lays out exactly how to get there. Also wanted to give a shout out to team leader NJ, who said, if you're looking for implementation ideas on how to change your life one day at a time, then look no further. Thank you so much for leaving the reviews on your podcast player choice. It helps us reach more people. And thank you for sharing it with the people in your world. You're making a bigger impact than you may realize. This is The One Thing Podcast, where we teach you the surprisingly simple truth behind extraordinary results. My name is Jeff Woods. I'm the vice president here at The One Thing Team. Once a month, we bring on a best-selling author to our One Thing webinar. This is a monthly webinar series. There's no pitch. It's all about exposing you to authors who have a best-selling book that we think would bring value to you and is aligned with the principles of The One Thing. Oftentimes, when we go and didn't do corporate trainings, there's just lots of questions around how we show up as a better leader, how we can lead with the one thing, how we share it with our people. And we came across a book called Back to Human, How Great Leaders Create Connection in the Age of Isolation. This is something we have been so curious about considering technology, it's more prevalent than ever before. There are distractions and notifications more prevalent than ever before. And if you're like most people, you probably feel more disconnected than ever before. So we brought on the author to have a conversation about how we as leaders can do a better job of facilitating connections in the workplace, especially considering the technology that is constantly surrounding us. If you would like to join us for our upcoming webinar, simply go to the onething.com. That's with the number one in the URL. Click on webinars and you will see it right there. With that, let's get into this episode with New York Times bestselling author, Dan Schabell. I feel really fortunate because I get the opportunity to work with so many amazing people in our community and our customers and get to be a part of their world. And they trust me with being a part of their goals. And more often than not, almost everyone is focused on health. And at the core of that is diet and eating a balanced diet. But eating this kind of diet, it's a huge time commitment and it's easy to get knocked off track. That's why it's so great to have a solution when you don't have the time to do the prepping and the cooking and the cleanup, but you still wanna eat healthy. That's why we partner with Factor, and Factor is chef-created, dietitian-approved meals that are ready to go in just two minutes. With Factor, there's no prep, no mess meals. Factor meals are ready to heat and eat, so there's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup needed. The variety of different options and meals that they have is really impressive, but go see for yourself. Head to factormeals.com slash 150 and use code 150 to get 50% off. That's code 150 at factormeals.com slash 150 to get 50% off. Dan Schabell, thank you so much for being with us today. So happy to be here with you, live from New York City. Yeah, very nice. Although, do you, do you have trees? No, there's a reason. Uh, I, don't want to, I don't want to show you the weather outside of my building. But you know what you do have? You have Levain's cookies. Have you been there? No, but noted. Noted. It's one like best cookie in the United States for many years. Imagine a scone, but a cookie. So it's crunchy on the outside, ooey gooey on the inside. It'll change your life. You don't look like you eat cookies. No. <laughs> okay, we'll send you some. <laughs> so let's let's go back. What what got you into doing what you do today? Well, it's a long story, but to make it short, you know, 
Back to Human, Back to Human is my third book. Each book I've written helps people get to the next phase of their career. So as I grow and develop, I want to create content and and support people as they are living that life and in in that phase of their career. So Me 2.0 was college your first job, promote yourself was first job to management, and Back to Human is a leadership book. Uh, I also started my career really focused on technology, especially social media. I created the first ever social media position at EMC Corporation, one of the first ever Fortune 200 social media positions. So I was heavily involved in social media in the early days of Web 2.0. And I saw social media as a pathway to build your personal brand and elevate your career and or business. And then as I was growing and developing, I realized that all the social media and technology use was really isolating me and making me lonely. So I was like, okay, what can I do about this? How do I forge more connections? And over time, like promote yourself was a lot more focused on soft skills. And now with Back to Human, it's like the pendulum swung the other way. And I think that we're overusing and misusing technology and technology has created the illusion of connection. When in reality, our overuse and misuse of that very technology has made us more isolated less engaged and less committed to our teams and organizations. And that's a big problem for our health because work is a third of our lives. We spend so much of our time doing work and working with our colleagues. So if those relationships aren't strong, it doesn't just hurt our work day, it hurts our entire day and our lives. And so that to me is really important. So I also advise companies on how to create healthier safe and more effective workplaces. Mm -hmm. Because if you advise companies and you're a champion and support employees, together you create a better workplace for everyone so the organization benefits financially so it can grow and innovate. And for individuals to be safe and secure at work and they're just treated with more respect. Dan, what does the research say on this? Yeah, we're spending up to half of our workday using technology instead of face-to-face. Huh. We're, tap, we're tapping our phones and other devices over 2,600 times a day, looking at our phones every 12 minutes. And during a meeting, we're texting an average of five times. So instead of being attentive and connecting and establishing mutual understanding, we're immediately... So we're so addicted to our phones and, and devices that we're immediately turning to technology instead of to a person. We mm-hmm. think that technology has all the answers And technology has created the illusion that we're multitaskers and we're so productive and that we have abundance of friends and connections. When in reality, you know, some of the 150 Facebook friends only has four. They can rely on on at a time of emotional crisis. And there's no such thing as multitasking. Your brain is switching from one task to the other and it's actually making you less effective. Mm -hmm. So the goal in today's world is how do we use, you know, technology to eliminate the work we don't want to do? And then as preventing the technology from isolating us so that we can live our true life and establish the relationships we need, not just to do our best work, but for for, for survival in general. So I want to make this interactive. So for the, the people who are on here live, I mean, you're here, you're investing your time. This is your webinar. So feel free to put questions in the in the questions box and we can feed them down as we go. And I'll keep driving. You know, Dan, I'm curious because you look at the future of work. I'm going to ask you to, to play fortune teller here a little bit. What's at stake here really? If we keep going in the direction that we're going, if we fast forward 10, 20, 50 years, what's the consequence? There's a few things that I'm looking at. One is we've surveyed students before 
And 40% of them said that technology is hurting their soft skills. And this was several years ago. So now they're older and it's not like technology is not hurting their soft skills. Right. Uh, people are being more isolated and lonely. In the US, half of Americans are lonely. 40% lack meaningful relationships. Uh, look at you in the UK, 9 million people are lonely. Uh, loneliness costs the UK economy 2.5 billion pounds per year. They have a minister of loneliness there in Japan. <laughs> Sounds like a lonely job. Yeah. In Japan, 30,000 people die a year from loneliness. So it's really you know, a global epidemic. Uh, we did research with Virgin Pulse, a global study of over 2,000 employees and managers in 10 countries. And we found that about 7% of the global workforce has zero friends at work, half have five or fewer, yet we're spending more time at work. Not having your phone is the new vacation. We're always kind of connected because of our addiction, because of the convenience, because... You know, because more is being demanded of us as workers, as leaders than than previously, and as a result, if we don't have strong relationships, we're less tied to those organizations. It's mm-hmm. much easier to leave an organization where you have loose ties and acquaintances versus one where you have relationships, maybe really strong relationships and friends and best friends. Yeah. So I think I think this is going to become more important in the future. One of the really interesting things is uh, Gen, Gen Z, namely teenagers, is the first ever group to say they would rather text over having an in-person communication. Meaning that millennials and Gen X and, and boomers, all other generations would rather have an in-person conversation than, you, than text. But teenagers are the first group that said it, they would rather text. And I think that's going to make its way into the workplace and make things even more complicated. And so what's really interesting in the study we did with Virgin Pulse, we found that email is the biggest thing that gets in the way of face-to-face communication. Yet a study in the Harvard Business Review found that one face-to-face conversation is more successful than 34 emails exchanged back and forth. Mm. So, so anytime you're sending an email back and forth and the point is not getting across... That should be a signal to you that you might need to pick up the phone or walk over to someone's office because uh, what you're saying is not actionable and it's creating misunderstanding, which is creating more work and is counterproductive. I love that. That's that's good. Like I'm going to want to get that Harvard article from you, by the way. I want to read that one. So here's what I'm interested in because we've got a lot of people here who are in a leadership position. And we believe even if you're an employee, all leadership starts with self-leadership. So we all have to look inward. What are the factors that really drive employee engagement? The core four factors that drive employee engagement are purpose, trust, belonging, and happiness. Purpose is having a real purpose means that you're not just doing what you did yesterday, that you're driving to something that's more meaningful and that you have a higher purpose for your work, that your work is in service of other people, communities, maybe the world. And so as a leader, you need to have a purpose, first of all. But you need to explain to your employees that the work they're doing impacts others and you need to make those connections, even if they, especially if they can't make those connections on their own. So if someone's coming to work and they're, they have you know, certain tasks they have to get done, don't just communicate, hey, can you do these tasks? Explain why they need to do those tasks yeah. and how it supports the greater mission and vision of your, of you, yours or your company as a whole. And that's way more powerful. And that's going to make them much more engaged because then they'll come to work and be like, oh, wow, the work I'm doing here is actually meaningful. It matters. 
it's going to affect people. And so I, I have to take this more seriously and work harder uh, on it. Yeah. That's uh, one. Trust, I think, is huge. I mean, so hold on real quick. So I'm, I'm curious how many people who are here live feel like you've developed a sense of purpose? Put a yes or a no in the questions box. I'm just curious at this point because we've, this is something we've been studying on the back end. We may actually write a book on it. It's in consideration. So a lot of people say, yes, that's awesome. Uh, for those of you, if you this is something that's of focus for you, if you guys go to the one thing.com with the number one and you click on free stuff, there's a, um, a My Purpose Guide that'll ask you certain questions. It'll at least set you down the journey to developing a sense of purpose. So Dan, you said purpose, trust, belonging, and happiness. Trust makes sense to me, but what does it look like to actually go about developing a trust between employees? At a foundational level, no relationship can really exist without trust. That is the that is so core to who we are. If you don't trust your leader, you're just not going to want to work as hard. You're not going to be engaged. You're just not going to last there very long, right? Uh, you're not going to want to do your best work. It, it's going to really take away from your entire employee experience. Trust is the foundation of not just any relationship in the workplace, but any marriage, any you know, boyfriend, girlfriend relationship, any friendship, it is so key. And so how do you instill trust? You just got to be as honest as you possibly can. It's almost like telling employees things that they wouldn't even expect to hear from you. That mm-hmm. is what's going to make people trust you more. Like think about the, the the friends that you have, the ones that really open up and are saying, hey, you know, I'm not good at this. Or, you know, the company isn't doing as well, even though it might seem like it is. And here's why. And just being really honest and open and transparent is so key because then people will trust you more and want to work harder for you. So I think trust is really the cornerstone to employee engagement because you know you cannot have purpose, belonging, happiness. But as long as there's trust, that's at least something to keep people wanting to listen to that leader. Uh, if the leader can't be trusted, people are just not going to listen to the leader. The leader becomes completely ineffective. I heard something interesting. Um, Susan Scott wrote a book called Fierce Conversations. And she said, the conversation is the relationship. So if you look at the quality of your relationship, and this goes into trust, think about the people that you work with. Are there people that you are afraid just to be fully transparent with, just to lay it out as it is? That's reflective of the relationship itself. And sometimes it's because we um, care about the person too much. We don't want to hurt their feelings. And I remember she said, you know, too much care creates a dysfunctional relationship. Yet too much candor can create a distant relationship. So it's that balance of don't love them so much that you love them straight out of the business, but also bring some candor to the table, but to to a level. Yeah. And then the third factor is belonging. Mm -hmm. So you want to feel like you belong to a group that's going to support you and your ideas. Right. Mm -hmm. And you know, this kind of factors into trust and purpose. You belong to a company and a leader that has a, a higher purpose. You feel like you're part of that team and you're contributing. Uh, you trust your leader um, and the people you work with. So you have a, a better sense of belongingness. And belonging is important because people who might not look like you or act like you or have opinions like you might be part of your group. And you need to incorporate their ideas to make them feel like they're part of the team. So at a core level, values are important, shared values. 
right? Mm-hmm. That's kind of foundational. And then from there, you do want to have people who have different opinions and beliefs because those healthy challenges that are handled in a mature way can actually create better solutions to ideas or to problems that you have. What do you say to the people who are on this who are going, okay, I'm not in a leadership role. I don't have direct reports. It's just me. What's one thing someone can do such that by doing it would increase a level of belonging for the people around them? Yeah, I think the one thing you can do is be vulnerable. Be vulnerable uh, with who you are, your shortcomings. Don't just always talk about your strengths. It's actually your weaknesses, your mistakes, your failures that get people more emotionally tied to you. I've you know I've done this more so over the past few years because I'm just, you know naturally be more open now than I was when I was younger and I think it's extremely effective. I think it lowers people's guards, they trust you more and because everyone there's a reason why people love superheroes, they all have Achilles heels. Mm-hmm. You know? And because of that you can connect with them on a human level and so if you want to form strong relationships with people and give them a sense of belonging you need to talk about things that are not going as right or things that the mistakes that you've made. Mm-hmm. So they, but not just saying the mistakes you've made, but saying like how you and maybe them can go about finding that solution together. Let's talk about team's purpose. You know, we in our conversations leading up to this, we we asked a question. You know, how do we help people get clear on uh, the team's purpose and what fulfills people on an individual level? What can everybody? begin doing immediately that would lead to people experiencing that? The one way to get clear on your team's purpose, in my opinion, is to get to know your teams on uh, and teammates on a personal level. Because the more you understand about them, their unique situations, their life goals, their uh, passions, their fears, their obstacles, what keeps them up at night, the more you can ensure that you can satisfy those fears, that you can uh, promote those passions that you can get them through their obstacles. And by helping them succeed, you in fact succeed by making their lives easier and supporting them and educating them and coaching them. That actually, all that time is an investment in them and it makes them feel more connected to your organization as a result of that effort. Mm. So, my question for you who's listening, what are the conversations that are already in place on a weekly basis? For you leaders, do you already have one-on-ones scheduled? If you're just working with coworkers, is there some type of model or routine you're already in where you're engaging with these people? And what's the one tweak you could make that would lead to you having a deeper knowledge of who these people are on a personal level? Dan, I mean, you've, you've done so much research in this area. What do you see being the biggest mistake that leaders are making? I think it's a lack of empathy. I think empathy (laughs) is just one of the biggest topics, buzzwords in our society right now because using technology all the time actually removes empathy. You want to lose empathy for someone else, you don't look at them face-to-face, you don't have phone calls with them because a lot of the emotion happens over the phone and in person. And so because we've become more of a decentralized workplace where more and more people are working remote. So in our study, we found that a third of the global workforce works remote often. 
because people are so spread and not getting the FaceTime and are relying so much on this technology, which can be very useful, what's happened is it's removed empathy from the equation so that leaders don't really have a sense of what people are going through on a daily basis, some of their struggles, because they're not seeing and hearing them. And most of our communication is nonverbal, 80%, right? So if you're not seeing and hearing someone for a long period of time, not only do people feel lonelier, but they don't feel heard. And if they're going through something, it's harder for the leader or on the other end, it's harder for the employee to recognize what's going on because they're distant. Yeah. So it's, what's really fascinating is that we all want more flexibility. Mm-hmm. In fact, people my age choose flexibility over healthcare coverage now, even though healthcare coverage is, keeps increasing in cost. And as the number of healthcare is the number one reason why people go broke in the United States, even though there's that, people still want the flexibility. Yet the flexibility, especially uh, remote work, prevents them from becoming as empathetic in in many cases. If they, especially if they do it full time, working at home, let's let's say, and it makes them more isolated, lonely unhappy and all that is bad for their health. So it's all really connected. And it's been really fascinating because I've worked remote for eight years. So I mean I can I even would say that yeah it has affected my ability to be empathetic. I've had to like figure out how to make that work. Team calls, in person events. So I've I've switched up how I work and live because I've recognized that these are these things have happened and part of that's happened because I've done all this research for the book. You know, multiple decades ago it's either a phone call or an email. And now with video conferencing, at least you can see someone and it, it's almost like they're there, but they're not there. So it, it does help because you get to see their facial expression and have a better sense of what they're going through, the emotion, um, a better understanding for their words based on their facial expressions and hand gestures. But it's not the same. Right, mm-hmm. the, nothing will ever replace in person, ever. So I think that as we get more advanced technology, the advanced technology is becoming more personal. You know, mm-hmm. you know, in Sweden they have chips that go in your hands and 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 uh, to activate, you know, doors to get in offices and to buy lunch and and so forth. And you know, virtual reality has everyone at home in Japan have with virtual reality girlfriends and working from home, and so. What's fascinating is while the technology can make our life better and more functional and more productive and eliminate work we don't even want to do, we have to be careful because the more personal it gets, the more it it comes into our life and becomes very personal to us, the more we can lose track of the human connections we need to function as humans because in Maslow's hierarchy of needs, Part of our needs is to connect and have relationships. And if we don't have that, we won't be self-actualized. And if we feel isolated because we're always using this technology because it's easy, it's fun, it's addicting. And every time we see an, uh, we hear an alert or see a notification on our phone, it releases dopamine, which pleases our reward system. So we want more and more like a drug or a slot machine. You know, I think that we need to, we need to be the masters of this technology. Uh, and not be slaves to it. And I think that's the best way for us to use it in a way that's positive and not let it isolate us, not let it uh, remove the empathy we need as leaders in order to 
properly connect with the team so that they get what they need and they're supported where they are. Uh, so I'm curious, there were three things that you had shared, Dan, when it comes to creating connection, things that we can do. What are some of those things? Number one is teach an employee a new skill. So I have a whole chapter three in the book is practice shared learning. So the average relevancy of a learned skill is only five years. So in order to keep up with the speed of business, which is having faster and faster every single day, we need to rely on each other, teach each other, and support each other's learning and development. Say that part again. You said the average relevancy of a skill is five years? Of a, le- of a, a learned skill is five years. What does that mean? That means if you learn a skill today, in five years, it's going to be worth less to employers. If anything at all, huh. that's that be and that builds the case for needing to upskill and reskill the workforce. You know, we. I mean, I'm not going to get so political, but uh, you know, we were, you supposed say- have, we were supposed to have a jobs program, and that never happened. And part of the jobs program was to uh, reskill, upskill the workforce so that they could take the they could be positioned for the jobs of the future and to fill the current skills gap. So we have about uh, almost seven million unfilled jobs in America right now, which is very high. We're not investing in people. We're not training people. And so companies are not growing as fast because they don't have the right people at the right time with the right skills. So the case I make in chapter three is, hey, let's help each other get these skills because we each have knowledge in certain areas and we can train people. And you can do something as simple as if you read an article or a white paper or you hear a podcast, just share with your teammate freely. That's how you create a culture of shared learning where people are learning and supporting each other. And to me, that is one solution for helping people advance and stay relevant in this economy. I'm not sure if your research dove into this or not, but I'm curious. What are those skills that are timeless? Ones that as technology shifts, it's not going to be as susceptible to disruption. That if people here were to say, if I... Do you want to live a life of extraordinary results? You got to master something. Let's master the things that are timeless. I genuinely believe IQ will become becomes less relevant every single day and EQ becomes Google more machine. relevant every single day. Mm-hmm. So I think all the anytime for, I for see someone high for people who don't know what that is, explain. Uh, EQ the way I look at it is EQ is being able it, it's like soft skills, right? Being able to manage and understand and work with people managing tasks. It's all the things that can't be measured. And it's uh, you know being relatable to people, understanding people, expressing emotion, those type of things. And then, and then IQ is, is really your intellect. It's you know, your ability to solve mathematical problems, for instance, uh, test well in school. So EQ is becoming more important. And so I looked at what soft skills are you know, become or the most important is communication. I mean, mm-hmm. our ability to communicate with each other has never been more important. You know, we all have to kind of communicate in order to sustain careers now and function in the workplace. Mm-hmm. Being able to prioritize work, I think that's a big one for everyone, right? Because it's not like we're working less hard than we did 20 years ago. So, mm-hmm. you know, we need to figure out what matters when and and what and you know the energy we want to exert per task. Um, teamwork skills. We're on teams now, so to be able to function in a team is extremely important. You know, get so I'm going to ask you to people. I'm going to ask you to boil it down. Of all of those, what's the one skill that makes all of them easier or unnecessary? I think the most important skill is 
being able to work with other people. That's the most important skill. And I think that's why it's built the case for why everyone should have a service job when they grow up. Mm. That is the most important thing. Learning how to deal with people as a leader, as a manager, as a human, that will always become more important. You know, And I think that we can't miss out on that. We can't miss out on the importance of dealing with other people because in order to get anything you want in life, you need to work through other people to make that happen. Whether yeah. you're selling a product or service, whether you're in a team, whether you're a leader, regardless of what you're doing, whether you're in school and you're a yeah. student and you're trying to learn, you got to be able to get along with your classmates. Getting along and connecting with other people, that that's to me is timeless and, and the foundation for anyone's career because your network is your net worth. Uh, so I've, all, I've built a career on relationships. And of course, there are some skills that have helped me build those relationships. But at the core, the goal is build the relationships because that network will serve you for the rest of your life. So, so I'm curious, if we imagine that every single person on this webinar who who is listening to the podcast later, and they just go, this is it for me. Like I really want to play my role in changing the way that we interact and work. And they started focusing one thing at a time. What would be possible? What changes? Yeah, I think changing one thing at a time is the right way of looking at it. I think people who have lofty goals, I need to, I have this one big New Year's resolution. They, many do not reach that goal because then you need to chop up the larger goal into smaller bits and pieces that are more manageable and less intimidating and stressful. So I think that if you do a small task like putting your phone down in a meeting, that can actually have a huge impact because you're showing respect to your colleagues, you're attentive and present, and you're able to, you know, be aware of what's going on in the room, what other people have to say, who's presenting what, you'll be able to take notes and you'll get a lot more out of the meeting. The meeting will be more functional and you'll have better relationships with your teammates as a result. What's the question that most people don't ask you that you really wish that they would? I think the thing that people don't ask enough is motivations. You know, why are you doing this? Tell me more. Yeah, so I I think from a uh, you know mission standpoint, it's to help my generation do the, their whole career path, and mm-hmm. you know in doing that, help everyone else and help make the workplace better, mm-hmm. and healthier and safer. I think in terms of motivation in general, I I believe everyone who's highly motivated and ambitious has a light and a dark side of motivation, and the dark side is way more powerful. So if you're if you see anyone who is the CEO of a top company or you know very successful in society of maybe even a celebrity they might have the light side of dark they, they might they'll display the light side of motivation which is could be giving to charity it could be saying i want to make the world a better place and and those type of lines right but i think there's also the dark side and so while the light side for me is i want to serve and support other people the old dark side of me was you know, because I was bullied growing up, it's this need to be validated. And so if you look at my 20s, winning the awards and all the press and all this stuff, a lot of that had to do with mm-hmm. the need to be validated. And so you'll see that with most successful people that you know whether they made it or not, there is the dark side. And I don't. I think the dark side is way more powerful than the light side when it comes to moving, motivating someone to put in the extra five hours every day. Seven days a week. It's it's like um, 
selling painkillers versus selling vitamins. You know, great. You want to take vitamins, you're being proactive in your health. But the thing that people really like when you experience pain, that's what I'm hearing you say is that the dark side's likely coming from a source of pain. Because what, what you're trying to do is you're trying to prove people wrong about you. So if everyone's mm-hmm. like, you can't do it, you can't. And this is what happens with most entrepreneurs. You can't do it. Your idea is dumb. And then they put in so much effort. There's so much you know, passion and, and work ethic because you're trying to prove them wrong. Now, while mm-hmm. proving, them, proving them wrong, in a sense, comes from more of the dark side, the end product or service could really benefit people. And the money you make through that, you could use in a very positive way. So again, light and dark side. And to me, that's something I've thought about for several months now because uh, you know I'm not asked too much about motivation. And yet at the same time, after releasing this book, I'm like, okay, why do I not feel as motivated as I did 5, 10 years ago? And, And that's my conclusion is I don't really have the dark side like I did once. That's interesting. What, Dan, do you think about learning the skill of asking great questions? And what's the one thing that you would suggest that we do to develop that skill? All I'm doing really is asking questions. And so I think asking questions is the best way to learn, stay relevant, stay stay sharp, form relationships. And you can tell a lot about a friendship or a, a teammate or any type of relationship based on the questions that are asked or not asked of you. Meaning that if someone doesn't ask you questions, it tells you that they're more into themselves and maybe are narcissistic mm-hmm. and that the relationship is not really healthy. But if they're asking a lot about you, it's, it shows that they care and they're interested, which tells a lot about, t- tells you a story about them and the relationship you have. And actually, in my last book, Promote Yourself, I had the four rules of relationships. Like this is, this, in Back to Human, it's the four mm-hmm. factors or, or, or ways in order to create a high performing culture and increase employee engagement. But in Back to Human, it was four uh, ways to build strong relationships. And one was giving. Giving is really the foundation for why yeah. I have a career, right? It's like, okay, how do I help X become more successful? And that takes studying the person, getting to know the person, asking questions, and really getting a sense for who they are and they want. And then if you're in a position where you can do something for them, connect them to someone, promote them and their product, that's going to make a big difference for them. And they'll be more likely to want to have a, another conversation with you, have meet in person, get to know you better. Yeah. The more, what's, then this is like core psychology. The more you ask, for most cases, the more you ask about someone, the more they become interested in you. Be more interested than interested. They're doing all the talking. Yeah. Yep. My mentor early on said, be more interested than interesting. It's 100% true. I tell my five-year-old that on the way to the bus every day, actually. Smart. I like that. Yeah. If you ask her how she earns money, she'll say, I create value. Scary, but cool. Oh, oh yeah. So we, we believe there's an F.M. Alexander quote, people do not decide their futures. They decide their habits. And their habits decide their futures. And so I was like, okay, I need a habit around question asking. And I just kept asking, what's the one thing I could do that would make asking questions easier or unnecessary? And I got to the point that my answer was, can I ask one question a day? when I naturally would have told. And about 66 days in, because that's how long it takes to form a habit, it was just a lock. Like I just started asking more questions. And then I started creating games around it in meetings. I got this from Liz Wiseman, who wrote Multipliers, play fewer chips. Like I will literally have a certain number of pens or pencils on one side of my computer. And every time I say something, instead of ask a question, I move it to the other side. And the people don't even know that I'm doing it. But I only give myself so many chips in a meeting to play. And it's real hard. 
So food for thought. Love that. And where do you get your ideas from? So where I get my ideas from is different experiences, meeting different people and being challenged with my ideas so that I can put forth uh, more thoughtful responses and build from there. Uh, mm-hmm. In terms of uh, the research that I did for the book, this was really interesting. We asked, you know, where does your creativity, where's your best ideas come from? And people said, in conversation with other people. So mm-hmm. people bring out your best ideas. Mm-hmm. I love that. Um, my partner, Jay, was sharing, like he sets goals around the number of books that he needs to read. Because as a writer, he goes, in order to have output, I have to have input, which is why like, I'll quick tour of his office. You got big bookcase there. You got books right. all here, books up there. They're just, they're everywhere. Got to have the input to have the output. All right, folks, what do you got? What questions do you have? Well, well also the best writers and producers and speakers are the best readers or consumers too. If you can, uh, now, again, if you only consume, that's a problem. But by consuming, you're being privy to new ideas, people, um, you know what's going on in the world. So you have a better sense of where you can fit in in your industry, in your profession, in the world as a whole. Like, so I think, and, and by reading a lot, it helps, or, or consuming podcasts, it helps with your vocabulary and how you think and yep. gives you some, some things that you can share. Because you can not just share your work, but other people's work. Well, speaking of being a consumer, um, Alan asked, what's one book besides yours that you would recommend? I like now discover your strengths by Marcus Buckingham. He's hmm. uh, he wrote the forward for promote yourself actually, and he has a new book coming out soon about how like the the issues that workplaces have, which I think will be interesting. Hmm. But but now discover your strengths is important because I think you know when you're younger you're you're told to improve on your weaknesses, but you can. But what Marcus is saying is that you need to double down on your strengths. You can. You know, um, improve your strengths way more than improve your weaknesses. So go all in on your strengths. And so the more I've recognized what I'm good at, the more I invest my energy in improving that and fine tuning it because that's where I think I'll have my big uh, career breaks. In interviewing top leaders, who's influenced you most and why? I really like, I mean, the one that immediately stands out, and I've interviewed so many different people, is uh, Scooter Braun. I just think really? he's really interesting. Yeah, I, I've interviewed him back in the day before he got too famous to interview. So give, give give people a sense of who he is if they don't know the name. He's Justin Bieber's manager. Now he's Ariana Grande's uh, um, manager. You know, I was totally going to tell probably him. Probably a billionaire at, at some point. But I think what's interesting about him, if you read my interview with him or see any of his other interviews, like at the com- Complex media interview on YouTube, I think is really good. Lewis Howes, who's one of my peers, his interview with him is very good. And I really like him because when you talk with him, he's very real. He's genuine. He talked about, I remember back in the day, back when I lived you know, in Boston, I live in New York now, he, I was walking and I was talking with him and, and he's like, yeah, we really struggled. No radio station was going to play us. We had to go to each radio station individually. They set the you know, the high music exec said that if you aren't a Disney Channel star, you have no chance at breaking. Hmm. And so he just talked about the struggle. And that was really cool because most people don't do that. And he still does now. So it's not like he did that when he was on the rise. He's, he's still doing that now, even at his level. 
And so I, I like that. I like how real and genuine he was and that he talked about all the struggles he had leading up to the point of where he was. And, and that's important because things are not easy. Things aren't even easy if you're a billionaire. Things aren't even easy if you're the CEO of a Fortune 500 company. Like, no, the problems just get bigger. The problems get bigger, but it's more so, you know, there's always going to be problems. People are suffering, even if they don't tell you they're suffering. And again, like I was saying at the beginning of the interview and webinar, was what binds us and connects us together is not really our strengths as much as is that we all have weaknesses, we all make mistakes, we all fail. And we have to be okay with failing and making mistakes. And it's something we all have in common besides you know, breathing and drinking water and eating. <laughs> yeah, I appreciate it. Um, where can people find out more about your books? Yeah, you can go to Amazon and type in Back to Human, Promote Yourself, Me 2.0. My website is danshawbell.com, D-A-N-S-C-H-A-W-B-E-L.com. And my podcast is Five Questions with Dan Shawbell. And I interview top people and asking them five questions in under 10 minutes. Well, folks, Dan Shabell, author of his new book, Back to Human, How Great Leaders Create Connection in the Age of Isolation. You can pick it up on Amazon. So this is something, it's just been such a passion of ours behind the scenes because Jay and Wendy, Jay who co-authored the book um, for over a decade and his wife have been getting away and doing a goal setting retreat. And we started bringing it to the public in the form of an event. Um, if it's of interest, check out the training page on theonething.com and learn about the retreat, um, either the retreat or the master course. Because I think considering the time of year, if you haven't done this yet, doing the master course, that could completely change everything for this year. And we'd be remiss if we didn't tell you because we just know the results that have been coming back in. So I wanted to share that. Um, Awesome, Dan. Well, thank you so much. I remember the other thing I was gonna ask you. Your Instagram, man, you got people on there. Where can people follow you? Instagram is probably the number one place you can follow me. It's the one I actually update on a daily basis. Two posts a day, seven days a week. Uh, my handle is Dan Shawbell. And yeah, there's motivation, there's speeches, there's interviews, there's everything. It's a conglomerate of everything I'm working on. See, I knew. I knew there was one thing. Awesome. Well, Dan, thank you so much for coming on. We really appreciate you. And for everybody who made the investment of your time to join us live, we really appreciate you. We're wrapping a few minutes early, so you've got time to prep and be on time for your next commitment. We really appreciate you and look forward to being with you next time. Thanks all. Well, there you have it, our conversation with New York Times bestselling author, Dan Shabell. Folks, out of everything you heard, what's the one thing you can do such that by doing it, everything else would be easier or unnecessary when it comes to your leadership, when it comes to making connections with people? This podcast is in service of you, helping you surround yourself with the right ideas so that you can get into action and make the impact that you are destined to make. If this did help you, we hope that you would consider sharing this with other people. Your word of mouth, your referrals have been the lifeblood, the driving force behind this podcast and our business. And we just want to say thank you to all of you who have been sharing recently. And if you've not yet left us a rating or review on your podcast player of choice, please do so. It helps us reach more people and your testimonials are what makes people just say, you know what, I'm at least going to listen to one episode. So please consider doing that. And for those of you who are new to the show, if you are not yet subscribed, click that subscribe button on your podcast player. That way all future episodes will automatically be downloaded to your device and you will not miss a thing. Thanks so much for investing your time with us. We really appreciate you and we look forward to being with you in the next episode.